working with Catholic changed my life. It changed my the way I look to human nature. In this position, I met the most beautiful people that gave me back my trust in humanity. Hello and welcome to the Soul Food Podcast, bringing you stories that nourish the soul. It's Alison and Donnie here from the Mission Enhancement Team, and we hope this podcast will encourage you in your life and faith, wherever you are right now. Here comes another soul food story. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Soul Food Podcast. Today, we're here with Rita Hakum, and Rita is a Syrian woman who, for the last seven years, has come to call Australia a home away from home. She has a passion for advocacy, community outreach, and community organizing, which is grounded very much in her own lived experience. Rita is a family woman, and she currently works for Catholic Care Social Services in the Diocese of Parramatta. I had the privilege of meeting Rita actually through a mutual work contact who works in the area of peace, justice, and ecology. And so I'd like to say uh, on behalf of the MET team, welcome to the Soul Food Podcast, Rita. Oh, thank you, Donnie. Thanks for having me on your podcast. And for those who can't actually see where we are now, um, Rita's actually organized a space in which um, we're recording, and that's at Mamre House, Catholic Care Social Services at Mamre House. And it's just a joy to be in this space because I, I can't remember the last time I've been here physically. So thank you so much for hosting us here uh, today, Rita. Oh, no. Thanks for coming uh, out to Mamre. I love people to come here and see the beautiful location and what we're doing here. Yeah, no, that's awesome. To begin all our soul food podcasts, we have a food story that, um, you know, we'd like to ask our guests on the space to introduce themselves. And so I'd just like to ask you, Rita, what is a food story uh, that comes to mind that describes a little bit about who you are? The food story I'm going to share is the uh, vine leaves. Vine leaves is uh, really connected to me because the city I come from is uh, used to be called Vine. Because the amount of vines was there, we were very famous of making uh, arak, which is the the, um, the Syrian drink, and uh, wine. Mm-hmm. That was, and also the vine cooking the leaves. Mm-hmm. So the leaves, you basically the process is uh, that you get the vine leaves and then you boil them, then you put the rice and meat and roll them one by one. Mm, <laughs> so, yeah. so to feed family, my family, at least I have to make 200 of these. Wow. So you have to put a lot of love and in that cook. And usually Syrian women, when they, uh, this is a, something that has to be in every big celebration. Mm. And uh, for Christmas, for Easter, that's something we have to make. Like, so it's very different for me because usually when in my country when women do it uh, it's not you don't just sit by yourself and throw all mm. these um you just call everyone hi i'm making vine leaves today so yeah. <laughs> anyone have time we'll come oh, we're starting <laughs> at three o'clock so big pot of coffee and everything How and cute. then all these women sit together and chat and uh, in these seats you're gonna get all these stories of the city i come from a very small city we um it's a city but we call it our town mm. that's how we call it but it's a city but it's and we're all very connected and it's a beautiful thing i cry every time i make it now because i feel like this is not how it's supposed to be made i'm supposed to be with someone or my friends or my relatives my mom at least mm. so. so there's a real memory of community and storytelling when yeah. it comes to making yeah. these and it's, dishes, yeah, yeah it's it's just yeah making it is different process it's very emotional 
Yeah, yeah. And you can feel that as, as you as you talk about those stories and you remember what it was like to, to create those dishes. Out of interest, you, you said that your town, um, when translated, means vine. How would you say the original name of the town in, in your language? Currently, it's Maharda, but before that, it used to be al Kermo. Okay, and that's translated roughly uh, yeah, to vine. Vine, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. Now, I mentioned as part of your introduction that for the last seven years, you've, you've um, come to call Australia home, away from home. I wonder, just in broad steps, if you could trace some of the uh, the key steps of your, your life experience that's taken you uh, from your home in Syria to Australia in Sydney now. To anyone who knows Syria or doesn't know Syria, Syria is a very beautiful country. Mm. And it will always be, what, no matter what happened to it, it's a beautiful, beautiful country. It goes deep in the history of everything, uh, all the religious and even the his, normal history, if you're not a religious person, mm. it's there. Mm-hmm. If, if you're going to read about history anywhere, Syria is there. Mm. And for us, it's not just a country, it's our church, it's our temple. Mm. What happened, uh, I don't know, we used to live happily. Mm. We never thought we something like civil war would happen there because I, don't, I always believed we are one, one, one big country. I never thought anything will happen when the war started. No, no, nothing will happen. It will just end. It's just nothing. doesn't matter why it happened. For any reason, it shouldn't. Like, people shouldn't kill their own countrymen Mm. for any reason. But it happened, and I didn't leave straight away. Mm. My family, we chose to stay, but uh, lots of things happened. We were in a city that received 20,000 rocket and missile, so there was no chance we can stay. The thing that pushed me to leave at the end, not the fact that we, my house was hit, not the fact that my kids school my workplace all this I could understand but the f- when I could see the fear in my kids eyes mm. I have a young boy who was he's a leader and you, you can see a leader in him and he he, ne- he never scared like but at the end he started like falling apart and that's when I said no that's it I have to leave and then we packed our stuff and went to another neighborhood country stayed there for a long time and then we finally get a visa to come to Australia which was the best thing ever happened. And so you mentioned really the the hinge moment for you was just watching the way in which your son was was taking this all in. Um, what what were your first thoughts or uh, what was the feeling when you were um, uh, when you finally arrived in Australia and you were able to um, find residence and home here. What was what was going on in your mind at that time? Oh, I was so grateful. I mm. just I couldn't believe that we're here finally. I mean, I had uh, two uncles and an auntie here in Australia, so I always dreamed of visiting Australia, but mm. I never like thought that I would actually move and live in Australia. So, and after all what I've seen, I couldn't believe that I will finally get the chance and come here. Mm. to a safe country, to a place where I will eventually go home. Yeah. Now, I've, I've watched this happen um, in my own family where they've come across as adults into a different country and now it's almost like they're in two worlds. And um, for me, I actually um, was three years old when I came to Australia. And so much of my upbringing was in Sydney, was in, was in Blacktown. And so my memory of home is actually through the experience of my family members uh, now that you and your family are here uh, in Australia, no doubt 
that there would be a bit of that sense of living in birth wor- worlds yourself, uh, Rita. But as you tell the stories of Syria to your children, um, what are some of the things that you tell them that you want them never to forget because that's what you think it, it really means to be of um, a, a Syrian people? Like what, what are some of the things that you hope that they continue to carry on um, as they find uh, life and, and flourishing here in Australia? I used to think that it would be the family uh, environment and that they have to be always connected and how nice is the social life is. Mm. But in fact, yes, we have a better social life in Syria, but I was surprised that all the stories we used to think about Australia, that uh, yeah, there's not family is not that important here and mm. stuff. It's not. The family is important in Australia. And I was shocked to see that how connected is the Australian people to their families. Mm. It's not It's not the, what we used to think about it. They're beautiful, connected to their family. It's just the time. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was sitting in Sydney it's traffic. Just, classic yeah, Sydney traffic. everything. Yeah. Um, in Syria, we used to like, I used to work eight hours a day and uh, every day, five days or six days before they moved to five days. And yet I still have time to go visit my family in the afternoon and my husband's family mm. and like do all my sweets and stuff. And still I have time to socialize in here. It's just the time that make you not socialize. But I want my kids to remember that social life, that there is something nice in Syria. And they still enjoy it when we, we went for a visit a couple of times and mm. they enjoyed the social life that they after school day they do all this study and stuff and they just go and see so yeah, we study like it's not here yep, like yep. it is no homework or anything kids come back from school they study for a couple of hours and then after that they just go and gather everywhere so yeah. that social life is what i'm missing and i want my kids to remember how beautiful it is yeah i mean i've had the bias of western sydney where there's a lot of migrant families and uh, like you described Rita, i've also sensed that family is is really part of western sydney culture and so um, I really want to say that the way you find that a blessing, it just really hits home for me too. So thank you for, for sharing that example. Now, shifting to your work in uh, Catholic care, um, I wonder, again, in, in broad strokes, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, all the detail from go to well, but what were some of your key steps as to why you decided to be involved with an agency like Catholic care? My story with Catholic care is, is a face story. Uh, when I first joined Catholic care, I didn't know where I was going. I live nearby memory and um, I was in a desperate moment. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know even where I was going. I was I dropped my kid to childcare and I just, what am I going to do? Where am I going? Mm. So I was going shopping and instead of going right to the shops, I went left for some reason. Mm. A friend of mine told me about Catholic care. They have a program that I can do with my daughter that will lead to uh, like a paid job or something. Mm. I didn't know what's the name of the program. I didn't know if my kid is in the right age. I knew that she's not, but mm. I was <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So I don't know why I came here. I came to Memory House and there was no one. Literally, it's it's the time that no. So I went in and I didn't know where to park. Where am I going? Like the office area was closed, but I kept going and I met the ladies in the creation. They asked me, what am I doing here? (laughs) I said, I'm looking for this program. I didn't even know what's the name of the program. Mm. And obviously they didn't understand what I'm talking about. Uh, because uh, the, the program is not a memory, it's somewhere else. <laughs> so yeah. They had no idea about it. And then uh, I said, okay, do you have any volunteer work I can do? Mm. And then when I started telling them about myself and stuff, they said, but 
yes, we do need volunteers here in the crèche, but I think it will be better to do something with the community engagement team. That's mm. when I started as a volunteer with the community engagement, mm. and then I moved to accounting with Catholic Care as a paid job, uh, and then back to the community engagement because this is where I found myself. Like, yeah. accounting is nice, but I'm not a person that can be locked in in front of the computer for eight hours a day, yeah, <laughs> every it. single that's day. It. I like, like, being more socialized and... Yeah. yeah, so that's when I came back here and I found my passion. I didn't turn that wheel to come here. Yeah, okay. That, that steering wheel was turned by some, like, <laughs> different power. Of. Yeah. So I feel like I was driven here. Yeah. Because working with Catholic changed my life. It changed my the way I look to human nature. It changed mm. everything. In this position, I met the most beautiful people that gave me back my trust in humanity. Now, you mentioned that, you know, um, a bit of your uh, experience here initially was to be uh, received, your story to be heard. But you said just then, you know, to restore your faith in humanity. Can you say a bit more about that? What was uh, before your experience with Catholic care and, and while being in Australia, what was going on in your mind um, in that period of transition? During war, you think that you're going to lose trust in God, but that's not what happened. You, you mm-hmm. only lose trust in humanity, in mm-hmm. human nature, in that... When you see brothers killing each other for whatever reason, don't give me reasons, brothers should not kill each other. Mm. Countrymen should not kill each other. Mm-hmm. I should not be threatened by the people who I lived with all my mm. life and I call them brothers in my country. Mm. That's what we used to be. That's what I used to think about my country. Mm. And to be threatened by them, that take all my trust in uh, uh, human, not in God, because mm. in during the war, in, instead of losing trust in Him, you just gain more and more trust in His greatness. So uh, when we came to Australia, the first situation that gave me a little bit back that trust back was when my son went to school, mm. and I was so scared. My kid's first day in school was the yeah. scariest thing yeah. ever, ever. Like we sat outside, me and my husband, we just sat outside on the stairs. Like there was like a stairs take to school. So mm. we just stayed there all day and everyone was just going and <laughs> looking at us. We felt like weirdos, but we didn't care. <laughs> yep. we were, we'd left two kids who speak no English in a school that has no one speaks Arabic. Mm. It's not like a, a, in here, there's not much of Arabic speakers. And so there there was no one, mm. no teacher, no student, no one. And mm-hmm. and we didn't know how they're going to survive first day. And they did. They, they came out telling us all these beautiful stories mm. about their friends and stuff. The second thing happened that when my son, my oldest, as I said, he's a leader. Mm. <laughs> he, uh, he wanted to try for school captain after mm. one year and maybe nine months in mm. school. And I said, no, like, I was too scared that he will be shocked. Like, it's not him that I didn't trust. It's, again, the human yeah. nature. That I said, no, you're very new. It's not, like, it's too early. They, those kids had been together for six years. And I tried, but he said, no, I want to do it. Mm. And when he was chosen to be school captain, mm. I was like, no way. Mm. <laughs> so that, uh, did they really do that? Did, are they that good? I, I know he deserve it, but, I mean... I don't know. I was too scared and that was the moment. And the second and then the third one happened here and that was the biggest thing. Mm. When 
uh, in my current position when my manager was explaining to me what is the role and what's expected from me and she introduced me to the community sponsorship program mm. and um, I said no way no one will do this who will put, <laughs> who will sign up for something like this for to sponsor a family and someone he never met to be like come to the country mm. and she said no it's, it's possible people do it I said no 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 way no, no we mm. will do this I mean yes I don't trust human nature mm. then when I uh, met the groups the first couple of groups and I started talking to those people I was shocked of how good they are mm. and how I, I, I didn't understand at the beginning what is there's actually people who will do this and, mm. and they are there Mm-hmm. And that was like, yeah, finally, I'm just open again to trust people. Just hearing those, those three examples, no doubt there are more uh, of those. Yeah, of course, but, yeah. But that, that sense of, um, you know, your fear isn't unwarranted. You know, you talked about 20,000 missiles at your, at your town, the, the way in which... Uh, brother or family was against family um, and so I, I really just want to hold and respect the fact that of course it's reasonable for you to to hold people at arm's length but you also then described there for me and it's it's hitting me now Rita the sense that belonging the way in which we allow people to belong in a space that can that can dispel fear um, and I think that's just something that uh, I suppose it's it's really important I think that our listeners um, can get in touch with that each of us has a capacity to offer belonging to someone else in a way that really changes lives, like how you describe, Rita. So thank you. Thank you for that. You know, the, the work that's uh, possible through Catholic Care, I wonder how many people actually know how it works. You know, what, what does it involve? What are the intricacies? So if you could talk us through a, um, a, a standard program, or maybe not a standard program, but a program that you offer here through Catholic Care, just for people to get a feel of the work that you do and the potential in which they can get involved in, uh, you know, this service that really is at the service of all um, uh, the parishes and, in fact, all the, the places that's located within the Diocese of Parramatta region. What does that work look like, Rita? The Community Sponsorship Program is um, basically um, forming groups of five or more. In Catholic Care, we're targeting the parishes or any other non-religious group. It doesn't matter. Like it, But because we are connected with the parishes, so that's where we work. Forming these groups, uh, so each group will represent a parish, usually, and with the support of the parish, this group will sponsor a refugee family to come to Australia. This family will be chosen by the government, so you don't get to choose who the family is, mm. but it's going to be one of the families who has a um, UN number, So they and they will have no one in Australia. So mm. you'll be the only people who have in, they have in Australia. And uh, this group will receive training, and uh, they, so they will be receiving, other than the support of the uh, parish, uh, Catholic care support will be there walking the way with them. Mm. They will have, be responsible of meeting the family in the airport and helping them starting a bank account, um, mm. doing the forms for Centrelink, and then um, they will walk the way, teaching them how to settle in Australia, helping with the schools, all these stuff like uh, English classes. And this group will be the family for this uh, mm. family. So imagine your family is coming to Australia and what are you going to do to them? Mm. And 
as I said, when I was first told about the program, I said, oh, no, no, that's too much. No one can do it. Yeah. But actually, there's people who can do it. And, it, and it's doable. Yeah. And uh, especially when it's, the group is uh, supported and they really want to do it, they can do it. And uh, they're amazing people, those groups. And uh, when they come together, uh, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I always go to these meetings uh, with them. And uh, at the beginning, they just lost and then they put it them t- themselves together and they managed to do it. And the biggest moment in this program is when you go to the airport mm. and meet the family for the first time. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I always cry in the airport. Mm. It's a different experience because this family is coming after a long suffering. No one comes here easy. There's no mm. easy way to come to Australia. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you, don't, you don't leave your country and then you come to Australia. No, you have to be a... a a refugee first somewhere else mm. and usually not in a welcoming uh, environment mm-hmm. most and it's understandable but it's really hard for not not to be accepted and to be rejected and to be a number mm. that's what you are when mm. you are when you leave your country you are a number you're not mm. uh, you're not you're nothing anymore you're not mm. a human you're not you are just a number yeah and that fact is painful it's the worst thing could ever happen to anyone Believe me, not leaving my country was the the worst part. Just mm. being a number, mm. that was the worst part. So when you come to Australia, usually what happened to family like this, they will be welcomed by a government representative with mm. settlement service or something. And they're really good and beautiful people. And uh, usually they choose them to be like from the same background. So they will be speaking the language and everything. But... When you meet a family, a family meeting a family, it's different. Mm. It's mm. like the last group I went with to the airport, they were welcoming a family with kids. So mm. they had all these toys and all these sweets and everything. And they were waiting and then they went and bought the balloons in the airport and they couldn't wait and they rushed to them. <laughs> they didn't know, are we allowed to hug or not? But the family, when they saw them and they say how welcoming they are, mm. they hugged them. They couldn't hold it. Then they hugged each other, and that was beautiful. I, yeah. <laughs> I always cry in the airport. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's. I mean, why wouldn't you? There's, there's definitely a yeah. difference between a formal process of being welcome and then yeah, yeah, yeah that, that family human face to face contact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they have no one like other families who comes like when I came, I had a family welcoming me mm. in, the, in the airport plus the uh, government representative. Mm. So I had that welcoming, and I needed it. Mm-hmm. I need to be wanted and accepted again mm-hmm. yeah. um, that this where i'm coming is a place that want me yeah, and that's yeah. what mostly the refugees need yeah. not the fact that they need a house or money or anything they just need to be accepted to mm-hmm. go out from to, to become a human again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah that's the main thing that's what that's the biggest program i'm working on mm-hmm. plus the, the other refugee programs which is including uh English and uh, citizenship and sewing classes, mm-hmm. plus lots of awareness sessions. That's my passion now. That the awareness sessions goes in all fields because, in memory, I'm working with basically uh, ladies refugees. Mm. So it's um, I do all type of awareness sessions from health to. My last one was about the voice referendum. Mm. I, I got someone to speak. Just what is the voice referendum? I wanted them to know it. 
and I translate it into the language and uh, put all the information I could give them in the lang in their language because everyone has the right to know what they're gonna vote for. Mm. Not to go like some of the reaction I got. Uh, we we know that there is something happening mm. and we have to go because otherwise we're gonna pay a fine. That was someone. Mm. Uh, another lady said, I know there's it's something to do with the Aboriginal people, but I don't know why. Mm -hmm. So. Telling them what's happening rather than just say yes or no because someone said this or someone. Mm. I just wanted to explain to them what exactly happened and everyone has the right to know. Yeah. And even in that last example, there's this thread throughout your story that you've shared from the beginning again of belonging, whether that's belonging through being informed in your decisions um, or or the, that gesture of heartfelt belonging when a family finally shifts from being just a number to being, you know, actually recognized as people by others. And so I wonder then, um, I'm feeling the passion in me um, as I hear some of these programs uh, that, that you have on offer, Rita. And I'm also surprised that I don't know more about it. As a parishioner in the diocese, if I were to come to you and say, I'd like to really get involved in, say, for example, that sponsorship program, what would be my, my first step? And um, are there any prerequisites? Uh, the first step is uh, forming the group. Mm -hmm. finding another four people at least to be with you in the group and uh, then building the uh, how much you can like are you able to get the funding enough uh, are you able to get the like the accommodation and stuff the program include and one of the hardest thing is uh, temporary accommodation so the group has to provide a temporary accommodation mm -hmm. for at least one month that mm -hmm. is the group is responsible for after that they will help the uh, family to find their own house and rent it or something mm -hmm. so that's that's the first step is forming the group and knowing that this group can do it so uh, usually what happened if you want me to come to your uh, parish and talk about it to try to help you and support you forming mm. the group that's what happened so i have information session coming in in your plane in the parish there and um i will talk about it and hoping to form a group there mm -hmm. that's what we do like that's mm. the first step is the group forming the group and we go from there yeah okay and just to clarify for any uh, communities out there uh, religious or not um when you do come out to their space to speak on these information sessions, is there a fee? Is there a cost? Is there no, a... no, no. Yeah. It's totally free. We support the program right to the end. Yeah, no, that's great to know. You know what? All those programs you mentioned, um, uh, I might actually put a link in the show notes just so that people can find those those links. Um, and uh, I suppose as a way of you know drawing this conversation to a close, uh, we like to um, shift specifically to the parish context um, again. Um, and uh, you've already uh, given a bit of responses as to how people can be involved in that sponsorship program. But let's just make it a bit broader. Um, this parish-related question is, is one about parish welcome. Um, and let's just say there is a family that's come from overseas uh, through this program and they've entered into a parish. Rita, what would you suggest or what would you encourage are some of the, the practical and the attitudinal things that you'd hope that the parish um, would do uh, to support that family coming in? The first thing is just let them feel they're welcome, yeah. that they belong, that this is their parish. The, the, when you go to church, or it's the house of God. It mm -hmm. doesn't belong to anyone, mm -hmm. whether you're new or old or anything. When you enter a church, it's you're going to his house. Mm -hmm. You're not going to anyone's house, not any. And that's where you need to feel welcome. Mm -hmm. You are definitely welcomed by God. And that's no one can take from you. Yeah. But what you need also is to be accepted. Come and talk to them. Mm. Like, hello, we're, 
we are this is introduce them to the programs you have mm. uh, look we have Sunday school we have this come to the morning tea tell them about the morning tea yeah. we don't know that there is all like yes and um, usually most of us like uh, like to share food so mm. if you tell them that uh, about that we share food and stuff they will be happy to bring a plate next time yeah. and feel belonging and feel that oh, yeah, we can participate and we can be welcome that's the the main point that let them feel welcome and they are accepted mm. and this is actually the house of god where they can be themselves yeah no thank you thank you for that response rita and friends as we say goodbye to to rita for now um we'd just like to encourage you uh, for those listening to really come and visit uh, Mamre House uh, and and to experience the space, to experience the people and the programs that they offer here for the community. And you can find Mamre House on 181 Mamre Road, Orchard Hills. You can easily Google that um, or use your, your maps to get here. Um, and yeah, we'd just like to welcome you to the space. I'll actually put that also in the show notes, uh, the website for um, Catholic Care and Mamre House so you can uh, check out the programs and the people yourself. You know what, just a bit of a brainwave as we've been chatting, since you mentioned, um, you know, rolling vine leaves in the beginning um, and doing that with community, perhaps in an initiative in the works. I don't know whether this is for the Met team or some community groups out there, but perhaps a community vine vine rolling um, ex- uh, experience <laughs> together oh, where, wow. we, where we can actually gather and perhaps Rita, you could teach us how to make uh, those dishes. Yes. <laughs> Okay, that yeah. would be that would be nice. Yes. I would love to do it. Yeah, something in the works. But okay. for now, I just wanted to say thank you so much, Rita, for um, being here on the Soul Food Podcast. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much for giving me the chance to introduce myself and my programs. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Food. Don't forget to like and follow us on Spotify or on your preferred listening platform. This podcast is produced by the Mission Enhancement Team in the Diocese of Parramatta. We release a new episode each week and we'd love to hear from you. So leave a comment or reach out via our contacts in the show notes. Looking forward to sharing another story with you next time on the Soul Food Podcast.